What's up, everybody? Yes. It's another episode of the Music Guy Podcast. Yes, it is. Hope y'all doing well. My name's Alvaro. I'm a music guy. I play guitar, I sing, I write songs, I make records. Uh, and I teach online. And uh, broadcast it to you from downtown Toronto here in Liberty Village. And my partner in crime, co-host, handsome devil of a man, also <laughs> teaches and plays guitar and writes songs. He's coming at you from Whitby, Ontario. His name is Michael Hebbs. How are you, my friend? I'm good, man. Handsome devil of a man. I like that. Two yeah, what do you think? That's buddy. not bad, eh? Is, yeah. is the devil a demon? Is that the official thing, or is he is he his own thing? He's not a man. Yeah, I would go with demon. He's a demon. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get yeah. to the bottom of this one. That's what today's episode is about. <laughs> yeah, but if you ever played like um, if you ever play any like fantasy games, like you know, like Diablo two or like Diablo two, yeah, yeah, you know, Magic the Gathering or any, any like devils, I think are are smaller. Sure, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the D like. They're, I mean, maybe they're all demons, but Not like when I think devil. demon, yeah, I, yeah, like I, yeah, 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 right. But I always found it's like, okay, but how come those guys are all little, you know? Yeah, yeah. but the, you know, that's why he's such a dick. The he's devil would short, be, uh, he's got the Napoleon complex, right? Yeah, maybe actually, that's true. Um, Sorry, welcome Satan. everybody to the show. We're happy that you're here. Uh, we are going to talk about six tips. For the studio today, so if you're a musician who's maybe heading into a recording session, uh, or you know, plan to be at some point in the future, um, these tips might be helpful for you. Uh, I, I thought I was thinking about this topic because the the, the agenda boys and I were I've actually gotten the opportunity to be in the studio as of late, Son working of on new records from uh, Graham Scott Fleming and actually Beverly Mahood. You fuck. And so, you know, just thinking about the process that we've used and some techniques that we use to sort of save time and make the uh, studio experience a little bit more effective is uh, is the goal. Well, it's a lot different, right? Certain people are like super good in the studio and garbage live, you know? Somebody call it toe-gazing. <laughs> um, when you like look at yeah. your, I think it was uh, Brennan. He was saying like, you know, you see those guys that when they play live, they're just sort of looking at the ground or looking at their guitar, staying still. Right. And vice versa, right? Shoegazing. Shoegazing, yeah. that's the one. When you got shoes on. Um, but yeah. uh, And then there's like the opposite, where it's like a live guy and you bring him into the studio and like his guitar is, doesn't stay in tune or, you know, he hits too hard mm. and all that garbage. So it is important. There's different, they're different animals, man. I mean, there's a lot of similarities as well. Yes. But, but yeah, you, you do have to sort of treat the studio approach a little bit differently and it's easy to burn a day in the studio and not get as much done. But, uh, hopefully with these tips, you can come out of a, a studio day with five songs. You come out of the studio you know? with five songs yeah. or else Al's going to give you your money back. <laughs> <laughs> not me, Al. <laughs> um, but before we get into that, we'd like to remind everybody that you can submit a question for question of the week at, uh, to music at gmail.com or connect with, Mike or myself on social media. Mm. Uh, and also, you could submit a song for Song of the Week. And if, if you'd like to have your original music played on the show, just send an MP3 to musicguypodcastgmail.com or likewise, find one of us on social media and send us maybe a, 
an MP3 link or a SoundCloud link or whatever, and we would love to feature original music on this show. So uh, we're going to feature right now uh, a band called Nastasia and Dovira, which is uh, a Canadian ethno-electro world fusion group that integrates Eastern European folk music with contemporary arrangements, electronic textures, and other music influences from around the world. So Nastasia, also known as Stacy Y, uh, <laughs> is uh, actually the CEO of, of Stereo Flavor, the uh, wedding band that a bunch of us work with. And uh, since sort of taking a step back from the live side of Stereo Flavor herself, uh, has really, really put a lot of uh, a lot more uh, energy and effort into her solo project, which is this world music group Dovira. Uh, the group is fronted by uh, Stacy, the Ukraine-born multilingual singer and keyboardist Nastasia Y, who began her career as a pop R&B singer known as Stacy Y. There you go. There you I already go. said all that. <laughs> Sounds like uh, uh, so- something that you would say when she's murdering you. Stacy, why? Why, <laughs> Stacy? Yeah. Or really she dumped joke. me. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we're going to be listening to an album off their EP, which is just titled Three, or I, 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 but I'm almost 100% sure it's just three in Roman numerals, uh, which was created in a cabin in the woods in Meaford, Ontario. Uh, the song is called More Days. It's the second song from this new electronic EP. Uh, it's multilingual and seamlessly switches from English to Ukrainian to a made-up mix of the two languages. This is a trip through soundscapes and genres. This work is based on the emotions of yearning, roots, nostalgia, childhood memories, and the feeling of being in transit. So, really cool stuff here from Dovira. This is called More Days.
I don't know what she was saying, but I'm into it. <laughs> well, I heard more days in there. Somewhere. I heard more days in Setsuyo, <laughs> which that was dope, man. Really cool uh, production and um, and like mixing job on that tune and the arrangement to have elements coming in and out uh, and sort of growing and 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 shrinking and all the rest of that. Uh, yeah, really great sort of soundscape. And really great music from Dovira. So, uh, if folks are interested, yeah, and Stacy Y, Nastasia Y. If folks are uh, interested in hearing more music by the band, you can search them up on uh, Spotify or whatever platform you'd like. Uh, The band's name is spelled D O V I R A, and their website is doviramusic.com. And the new EP3 is here now, so check it out. Thanks for the submission, Stacy. And uh, if folks, if you want to uh, have your song featured on the show, just hit us up, musicguypodcast at gmail.com. There's a doggy behind you. Hoops in the shot. Hey. He's Doggo. getting comfy. Settling, settling in for a podcast here. Uh, let's get into the meat of it. And the potatoes, Let's too. get into the meat of it here. And the potatoes. Oh, God, I love potatoes. Really? Um yeah, kind of offer on with them, you know. Okay. Oh man, like, well, roast them, put some like, you know, nice garlic and like uh, poultry seasoning on them. Throw them in the oven for. I'm, I'm like a fries or bust guy. I don't really. Oh, dude, the the roasted potato is is a real you know real it's a nice garbage thing. potato I, I, baked potatoes. Yeah, baked potatoes are not really my thing. Yeah. But man, like if you cut up a potato into you know inch. You know, square inch pieces, let's say, you know, ish. Throw it in the oven at, you know, four, four fifty, mm. put some seasonings on it. It's so much better than fries, in my opinion. Whoa. Yeah. I'm so I'm telling you, man. Unexpected. Get into it. It's great. Um so we know, everybody knows time is money. Every minute in the studio is costing somebody money somewhere, mm-hmm. right? Um Plus, you took the the effort to get a bunch of people together. Um, you know, if you're recording with a band, or maybe just a couple of you, uh, and there's a producer and an engineer in the room, and and there's a singer there, or maybe you're the singer and you've got a couple of instrumentalists with you. Whatever. There's a bunch of people getting together, taking the time, uh, renting out the studio space. You want to get as much done as possible. And uh, on the the last session we did with Graham Scott Fleming, we got. Uh, bed tracks, so bass, drums, and like some of the foundational guitar and acoustic guitar done for five songs in what was a 10-hour day. Um, And so what we're talking about there is like two to three hours of just setup because it takes forever to set stuff up the studio. So if you're heading in the studio, be ready for that. Uh, So we really only had about seven hours to work with, but you get lunch, you take breaks here and there. So, I mean, really, we're, th- we're looking at it like an hour per song. So, as a band, we're recording together simultaneously. We need to be efficient. We need to be figuring out parts on the fly. If we're going to be doing that, we need to be doing it quickly, communicating that quickly, and getting the song, uh, a take that we're happy with, within, uh, you know, I would say six to eight takes is sort of what we were looking at for that particular session. Um, And especially nowadays with budgets being smaller than ever, 
artists really do appreciate when you can knock out songs super quickly like that so they don't have to buy a second day they don't have to pay you yeah. for another day of your time if and you're the studio if you're a band like we are so um so just wanted to go over some tips on how to sort of achieve that and i think it'll apply nicely to uh people in any sort of recording situation but i i guess where I, where i'm coming from uh is from the perspective of the acoustic slash rhythm guitar player uh slash producer in this sort of four-headed monster of of guys playing songs together um so that's where i'm coming from i mean also too it's uh it's like just having good sound recordings it's like ways to ensure that your recordings sound as good as possible and uh are as cheap as possible to make i mean all of these tips kind of help with that no matter what you're doing you know obviously if you go to like a really yeah. professional studio and you have something like the agenda you know they'll take care of the, this stuff for you you don't have to tell you know the guitarist to tune his guitar because he'll do it but uh if you guys are recording in your own space or if you're the the agenda in this situation so you're you know, producing someone and you're all playing on tracks and, you know, you play drums, but your guitarist, he sounds out of tune, you know, we'll talk about a little bit, uh, about why that happens and like what we can do to fix that. Uh, and so just a little bit of background, I guess, like, so the process for us, uh, when we're, when we're working on a record generally goes, uh, like this, we, Oh my gosh, Coop groaning in the background there. Uh, so the process generally goes like this. We meet up with the artist beforehand, do a little pre-production of the song, usually in an acoustic jam sort of situation, um, get a feel for the form of the song, the length, maybe we need to cut a verse in half, maybe we need to double up the last chorus, all that kind of stuff. We do that well before we get into the studio. Somebody records a little acoustic demo on their phone of us just playing it in the room, uh, sometimes there'll be a metronome playing along with it so that we know what the tempo is. And that'll be everybody's reference to take home and start sort of thinking about what parts they intend to play on the studio day. And we come into the studio, set up. We've already got our parts in mind. We've already got a chart made for the song, if that's what needs to be made uh, from the, the pre-production session. And we run it down to takes until we feel satisfied and the artist, the singer is going to be singing, but that vocal will eventually be replaced when we do the actual vocal tracking, which usually happens on a separate day. Uh, and then rinse and repeat for the rest of the songs. So, you know, if, if and some people might be switching instruments mid um, song, you know, if I get the acoustic take I'm happy with by take four and we're still doing takes to grab drums, I'll switch to electric mm. or I'll change you know, to a different guitar or something like that and try to get as much done as possible. But the goal for that first studio day is first and foremost to get the drums and bass down and then also the acoustics because those are somewhat difficult to record and they sound way better at a good studio and foundational sort of electric guitars. And then from there, um, we can overdub lead stuff if, if, we didn't, if we didn't have enough time or solos and we'll devote like another day at a smaller studio or at somebody's house to getting the vocals just so. So that's sort of what the process is. I mean, so that's the polar opposite of like, uh, I feel like, I don't want to say laymen, but people that aren't musicians, when you see movies, it's like you see big bands and it's like, oh, let's spend a few months in the studio. 
You know, it's the polar opposite of that, which is great. You know, it's cool. Mm. It's like I mean, and that's how. Well, so I mean, that's how it used to be. Yes. When I mean, it's funny when like recording mm. uh, first was a thing, it was totally like this. It was like, how quickly can we pump out songs? Right. There, there were not people sitting in the studio tweaking sure. uh, a synthesizer or a, like a, a guitar part or a guitar tone. Or like choosing they just microphones had, and stuff like that. You know, the Swampers or the um, or the Wrecking Crew or whoever were just like pounding out tunes for yeah. every artist that came through, right? And and that's the way uh, that's the way they did it. I thought you were so, talking about earlier than as, that, like the 1940s or something. Oh yeah, geez. no, it's, yeah, it's true. I, mean, I guess I'm not thinking back enough. Yeah, now it's more. But, I mean, the other way. Uh, sorry, now it's more that way as opposed to what you were saying was coming next, right? So pretty much uh, the other alternative, what be kind of became a thing, was that uh, you would have a label pay for you to be in the studio, and they would book it out for you know a really long period of time. Now I've always heard months, maybe it's weeks, uh, but you know that's oh. I couldn't even imagine what it would cost to rent a studio for a month or even a full week uh, and have an engineer on staff and maybe his assistant on staff uh, and have the space mm-hmm. and all of the gear sort of spoken for for an extended period of time. And then you just kind of try stuff. Maybe they'd even write songs in the studio. You know what I mean? Um, that doesn't seem to be the case for a lot of people's budget now. And even kind of labels, unless you're like the tippity top, I don't think that they would spend the money just to be like, yeah, this studio is yours for a month and a half. Yeah, precisely. And I mean, as the recording industry got richer and richer and the bands got bigger and bigger and the technology got uh, more and more capable, you know, famously, I think, you know, Abbey Road, for example, they were just in the studio for months tweaking stuff on yep. that. And, you know, Ringo is like, yeah, you know, I learned how to play chess on that record because I didn't get to do anything after I laid my drums down, you know. Um and then, you know, yeah, and it just got crazier and crazier. And now we're in, we're in a world where, yeah, there's just the budgets aren't there. And especially for uh, artists that are trying to get started, trying to make their first record, they're not going to have a ton of dough um, if they want to have a live band to, to spend all that time. If they're making everything electronically at their their home or whatever, then that's a bit of a different story. Mm-hmm. But even you still, you want to be doing stuff efficiently. Like yeah. the technology is yeah. there that you can kind of supplement all of this. Like, oh, we got to be in the studio for a while with, you know, like, oh, no, I did a lot of work at home. You know, we just have this, that, and that to do, which is cool. And that's the expectation, too, is like you're going to be efficient at the studio, but you're not finishing the record at the studio. You're going to use the studio to get the drums, to get the acoustics, um, and, you know, the other instruments, bass and guitar and stuff, might as well get them because we're there anyways. And they, Which it all so contributes smart. to the vibe, right? Yes. Uh, and, the, and we're building that arrangement and, and making sure everything's jiving. So I've never heard of anybody that. doing that, too, where they get the... Well, not that I've never heard of it. I'd never known, you know, like I, I hadn't had a lot mm. of experience with that sort of thing. But when I heard that you guys do that, you get the drum, drum takes, but you're all there. So you might as well get the other instruments as well. Um, that's a really clever way to sort of save some, some money and time. Yeah. And like the, the, what you get back, you know, we're playing together. So you don't have that disjointed as much of that disjointed feeling of like each instrument was laid down individually. Um, like there's a groove happening. You don't need to snap everything to the grid because we're grooving together, you know? Um, but anyhow, let's get into it. Tip number one, preparation H. All right. 
huge and we don't do enough of it nobody does enough of it um but here's what here's what you do so we're talking about pre-production so this is like a this is a bare minimum like you cannot walk into a studio having not done some amount of pre-production for us that's at least one session when i say session i mean just like hanging out at somebody's place or whatever acoustically jamming the song or songs that we're going to be working on just to get a feel of the song form uh the groove the tempo the parts and we're writing stuff down this is gonna be 130 bpm Mm. slash maybe 132 maybe 134 we're not sure yet at least then when the engineer's like how fast is the song somebody's got an answer right away sure we don't spend five or ten minutes oh well let's just play it and see where we're you know no like we know what we want to do I feel like also are you making tweaks to the song as well? Like, ooh, no, that lyric, you know, we should try this. Or like, oh, you know, like that chorus is too long or blah, 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 blah. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yep. We're, we're feeling that. And you really do feel, when I say feel, like you, you, you're playing the song, you're jamming it together. And there is sort of a, a collective feeling of like, this part is too long or this part's not long enough. Yeah. Or what, what that you don't really get when you're by yourself. So as an artist, if I could put my artist hat on for a second, I'm imagining in my head how my song's going to go, and I'm writing all these chords. I'm like, all right, this is going to sound dope, yeah. and I'm playing it by myself. And it's like, But once you get into a room with other people, even if we're not all on our instruments, but we are all still, still kind of jamming the song together, maybe acoustically, that's when you really start to feel what's working what's not working. So it's so important to do this. Uh, in the case of Graham's record, we had, I think we had two full band rehearsals like we just rented out a rehearsal studio here in toronto yeah and literally just jammed like a you know like a like a high school band or whatever like not like a high school band but you know what i mean <laughs> like somebody's just mom's he's like, I got basement this. yeah exactly he's like i got these song ideas it's like all yeah. right well what what is it and he starts sort of singing playing it to us and we're like all right yeah let's just try and play it you know and we're doing all that for 50 dollars an hour instead of yes you know well, the funny thing is, uh, or fifty fifty dollars for like four hours at a rehearsal studio yeah. versus uh, you know several hundred dollars at, at the big studio. With so, the yeah. the the thing as well too with the pre production, I almost get the impression that I could almost say that there's probably never been a song, or very few songs where it's been like, oh, this is the song, okay, like play it for us. Okay, that sounds fine. We're just gonna record it now, and now it's a hit, and it's the best song ever. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like the yeah. pre-production is, is the most, Im- I think it's probably the most important step, you know? I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. yeah. Well said. Well yeah. said. The other thing that I've written down here, and this is not something that I always do, but I think it's a good idea and I will be doing it for the next project that we're working on, which is a 10 or 12 song Christmas album. Oh, uh, and because I'm not like a super heavy jazz player, not only am I going to have to practice these songs a little bit extra just to make sure I have all the chord shapes right for acoustic and stuff. But I'm actually going to practice recording the song at home before going to the studio. Mm. Um, because that's, in my experience, where you discover all the little things that can really trip you up in the studio. So, um, you know, I can know my voicings. I can know the structure of the song, which is all, of course, you should you should have all of that down and you should have a chart if you need a chart and make sure everybody's on the same page. But it's like when you actually sit down to record, that's when you realize, oh, when I switch from this grip to this grip, I sort of brush 
the sure. B string by accident oh, with my wow, finger and it makes a little great. sound. Yeah, that's a great And then it's like, you don't want to be learning that while you're doing a take. In one of the six to, to eight takes that you were saying that you have? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And this record, we're doing 10 to 12 tunes over two days. So oh, like boy. we really have to be fast. Yeah. Um, and we're trying to get vocals too. It's going to be going to be a, a big but it's like so you don't want to be f- discovering that uh because it's going to psych you out and you're yeah. going to like be trying to change the way you're playing and stuff and it's like yeah you could probably overcome that but learn that before going in or like i can't switch from chord x to chord y fast enough that it sounds correct uh so therefore i'm going to need to find a workaround to this yes. you you know you can figure that out at home and then it's like okay well you know Take one, I'm going to make sure I nail chord X. Take two, I'm going to maybe skip chord X and make sure I nail chord Y, Ooh. and then later we can put those together. That's you know, smart. So we're not wasting time. You're not being like, oh, I need to, I need to overdub that section because I messed yes. up. Oh, I still messed up. Oh, I still messed up. Or That's wasting you time, find out right? in the editing, oh, there's just no good way to edit this because I didn't fucking do it. You know what I mean? Precisely. One thing yeah. that I was going to say um, is that also, too, for like a session guitarist where you're only playing guitar... And say, for instance, you have like a solo, I guarantee you, at least for like the up and coming session guitarists that were really good, they're not going in like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I know what key it's in. I'll just play a solo. Like, they've got ideas. You know what I mean? Oh, Whether yeah. it's like licks yes. or just like hooks to the solo or just interesting things. There's so many solos where I'm like, I'm sure someone could have improvised that, but I just don't. I, I think that I would probably go in with, you know, nine or ten ideas and then they would tell me what they like what they don't like you know 100 percent. yeah that you've composed that you've practiced yes you know how you're gonna play you know what spread on what string you're gonna play because it actually sounds better to slide into this note on the g string rather than the b string for whatever reason or like all these little like detailed technical things you want to work those out on your own time so that you're as efficient as possible uh when the day comes that's all I got for that one. I mean, that makes sense. Uh, just assume that you're not a fucking, you know, you're not a, a killer musician, you know? I think everybody yeah. sort of assumes, <laughs> including myself, like, oh, no, we're, we're like session players. You know, we're hired guns. Yeah. And it's like, or like, oh, I'm a good vocalist. Or like, oh, the song's great. And it's like, sure, it might be. But like, the more you can do to make it like more of a finished product before you even get in there the less expensive it's going to be and the smoother things are going to go for sure. Precisely. And like, if you're in a band situation, if you're a player in a band situation in the studio, you don't want to be the one that's holding things up. Mm. So just for like vibe and workflow, you just want to be, and that's not to say if you make a mistake, you need to punch in, punch in like, Oh yeah. Do your thing. But, uh, because you want to get it right. But you, you know, if you can not be the one who's always holding things up, that's just going to be better for the workflow and better for the the vibe of the session. If things are just moving smoothly, everybody's going to be nice and chill, nice and relaxed. And then you can focus on the more uh, like macro stuff. Like maybe we do need to speed this song up by a few beats. You're not going to notice that if you're you know struggling with a, a specific chord switch or whatever, yeah. right? So. Yeah, you really want to go into with, with a plan and and discover all those little um, you know details by recording the song at home and, and figuring out what sounds good. Uh, number two, number you want two, to take this one? 
Um, so I, one of the things that Rich had mentioned in the episode, I can't remember what episode uh, Rich was on. He's been on a few, but uh, he was talking about recording and just sort of the way, like the way that you play in studio and the way that you behave in studio is different than you know how you would behave live. Uh, so he was mentioning specifically like how hard you hit and like how it affects mm-hmm. the energy of the song. So he was saying it can be frustrating sometimes because for the really heavy songs you want to fucking just wail on the drums. Uh, but if you hit too hard and not the right way, it's not going to sound good uh, in like a in when a listener's listening to it like critically, you know, because live it may just come across like fuck yeah, he's just fucking smashing those things. But then yeah. you know you put a condenser mic in front of it and it's just sounds like a turd, you know? Um, yeah. And so like this is one of those things where you know a studio guy will fucking destroy this in the studio and maybe live he won't destroy it because he's not playing for the live sort of situation um Mm -hmm. and then one of the other things that we had written down and talked about and this is just a small thing that kind of bothers me is just knowing things like if you're playing acoustic guitar like really being strict about your position on the mic like the angle that you're holding the guitar at how close you are if you change that in the next take when they like switch and like sort of cut in between them you're going to hear that and it's going to be an issue mm-hmm. for mixing and editing and all that stuff. I don't know like what you th- what you think about these things. Uh oh Al, I mean Yeah, well, I think in terms of drums specifically like uh Aaron Sterling was on the I'd hit that podcast at oh, least yeah. twice, maybe more. Uh and he was talking about going on tour with John Mayer and how he t- he actually tunes his drums completely differently for live. And yeah. his, his and he he was like, "Oh, I don't even like playing live. I'd rather be in the studio or whatever." But like because it's it's a whole different thing. Yeah. Um, so the way you're going to tune your drums and the way you're going to hit them and attack them, um, what you're trying to get across live is all energy and all all vibe. And in the studio, um, there's a bit more emphasis, I think, on making the instrument speak correctly in that room with that microphone sure. uh, for that song. So in the case of drums, if you hit a snare drum too hard you're going to kind of choke the head a little bit, if that makes sense, the drum skin. If you hit it too hard, you're going to get sort of like a, a bat kind of sound, whereas if you hit it just right, a uh, good amount of force, but not too hard, maybe you let the stick rebound off of it uh, to let it ring a little bit better, you're going to get that bong, you know, with yeah. a little bit, maybe a little bit of a, a more tone and ring in the, in the sound. Um, and so just being aware of like how you hit that drum, or maybe you're trying to do a rim shot, so True. you need to hit the skin and the Little actual rim. metal or wooden rim sure. on the drum. And maybe you need to be able to do that consistently because that's what the song is calling for. Every backbeat hit is just slam and rim shot. It's like you need to practice, make sure you can do that and do it at the right um, you know, amount of force, velocity, so that uh, the drum sounds its best. Uh, in terms of guitar, I mean, if you're grabbing the strings too aggressively you can bend your chords out of tune if you hit the strings too hard with the pick you'll you'll make the chords go out of tune depends on the guitar yeah so for like a les paul like i was doing some higher gain stuff with the les paul on uh, the last couple of sessions we did and i was brushing that thing like a kitten man like it was (laughs) and it still comes it's still coming out kitten baby yeah still roaring like a bear you know but like but but if i start leaning into those strings i mean everybody knows how awful les pauls are for 
for tuning issues. I've never owned one. Um, um, it's just going to be every chord is going to be like, wow, yeah. wow. Do they have really big wow, frets? Gonna, you know. Is that why? I don't know. Because I know just, that the size of your frets is going to affect that. Like I have really small frets on my Stratocaster because I'm not because I'm smart, just because that's what I have. Uh, so yeah. the the higher frets allow you to push down easier. But if you get too excited, there's more room for them to push down and put out a tune. So that could be it. That's a good point. Yeah. 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 yeah something that I think a lot of people don't realize, at least when I'm teaching, is that you don't need to push the string into the wood. Yeah. On guitar. Yeah. You just have to apply enough pressure that it makes contact with the fret. The yep. fret is what actually shortens the length of the string and changes the pitch. It, it has nothing to do with the wood. So if you're pushing your strings all the way into the wood, you're probably bending the notes. And you can hurt yourself that's not going to that sound good when you get under yeah. the microscope of a studio. Well, also one of the yeah. things that I was thinking about as well, too, is live. Like, Because obviously, you know, you have band leaders and rehearsals telling you to do things. But I've been asked to do things that I've never thought about in a studio because there's a more critical ear on it. Like, oh, could you like, you know, hit it with like more attack, but not louder. You know what I mean? And it's like, (laughs) well, what do I I have to do to do that? And it's like, oh, well, maybe the way I'm holding my pick, maybe what pick I'm using. You know what I mean? I know uh, Justin brings like, Justin Abaddon brings like multiple picks to a session. Um, And like maybe you have to use your fingers for something you normally use a pick for. You know, or maybe I've even, this is really fucking getting in the weeds, like sometimes hitting with my elbow. So instead of picking from the wrist, like you're supposed to like this, uh, sometimes Mm -hmm. it's like picking from, you know, uh, like, uh, either your elbow or or your thumb and your finger and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So it's a a whole different animal. And the more experience you get, the more these techniques you will, you will, you will, uh, master and, and sort of learn over time. But, um, really something to be aware of and this comes back to like record the song at home first and see how your guitar sounds when you're slamming super hard on it versus when you're playing a little bit softer versus when maybe you're playing too softly you know but getting that right uh you know velocity on your on your instrument uh same with keyboards too one thing i noticed about pianos especially electric pianos is there's like there seems to be a massive difference between like moderate velocity like hitting it sort of medium and hitting it hard like quintuples the volume all of a sudden like like i'm you know you're working on a keys track and they're like all right they're playing they're playing they're playing and the shot comes and it's just like bam and it just clips your entire software and it's just like it's like the waveform is is like three times as big and so you know and that's not a huge deal like you can fix that in editing but something to be aware of when you're playing um, for sure, for like consistency's sake, is like, do I need to actually smash this that hard on the shot, or maybe I just play it? You know, just if it's a guitar, you just flick your wrist a little bit faster, yep. but don't actually lean into the note as much. So, well, um, I, I find that uh, a lot of acoustic guitarists that aren't like acoustic guitarists, like our singer acoustic guitarists, not you, Al, because mm-hmm. you obviously <laughs> you do the recording stuff like that. That's what I like about your playing. You don't, you don't. You have the capability to hit hard, but it's not like you're just hitting hard out of default. You know what I mean? It's not like you're just yeah. fucking punching the thing. Because it's like, you need to be... Live, obviously, dynamic range is super important, but on a recording, it's like, fuck. Like, it's everything. Yeah. You know? So Yeah, and, co- you know, consistency from note to yeah. note, too. Especially on acoustic. Um, actually, Mark Schroer, he called it shaker with with uh, with notes or something. That's I can't a remember great exactly way to describe said. it, yeah. But it's like... When you're going up and down, 
Like those downs and ups need to be uh, very consistent, the same volume. And then when you look at that waveform after, you're going to see that it's all sort of all the hits are all sort of the same. There's not yeah. like giant one, tiny one, medium one, giant one, medium, tiny. Yeah. You know? And then it's like that's much more unruly to work with when you when it comes to editing and mixing it than a nice consistent um, thing. This fucking guy and- calling me. Well, he's fucking calling me. What a loser. Oh, jeez. Fuck that <laughs> guy. Will Hebs. Don't hire him. Um, <laughs> um, so, so, you know, and this is all f- at odds with, like, the 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 visceral ener- energy of the song. You don't want to lose that. That's so what Rich was the saying. Best pl- yeah. Yeah, the best players can somehow deliver that high energy, high intensity playing but also have the control to make the instrument sound consistent and sound its best. So those fucks. It's 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 not something that I've mastered, and, and I don't know that I ever will. I think it's just a lifelong sort of um, thing you're after. But uh, being self aware and, and and working towards that, and especially just being aware that like hitting lighter than you think you need to, especially if you're just getting started is usually a good idea. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a trend that I've found. And uh, even in myself, my own playing, it's like if I'm at the studio, I, I'm often reminding myself, it's like, all right, you don't need to hit that hard. You don't need to hit that hard. Because yeah. you get excited or, you get, or you're getting frustrated because you're like, shit, I can't. I'm not making this part. You know, and you start digging in more. And it's like, that's going to make it worse, man. Just relax and, and you know, so. That's why people take very, drugs, I'm a very man. uptight person. They relax you. you. Uh, don't yeah. do drugs, though. <laughs> Ain't got no time um, for that shit. So let's move to number three. We've got recording, uh, different recording methods. So, you know, making sure that you're using the right method for what the song the is asking of you. So we've, we've got a couple of, of different methods here. We've got the scratch track method, the agenda method. Mike put that in, not me. Uh, <laughs> no, it's the, a method slash agenda. The live off the floor method. So really two different main approaches here. So the scratch track method, um, I think is a little bit more effective uh, for solo artists for sure, but also like for tracks that aren't really driven as much by a live band. Sure. Like maybe there's not a live drummer or maybe there's live drums, but there's no guitars or like, in a situation where you don't have every instrument covered simultaneously or most of the instruments covered simultaneously and you're not sort of going for that, what you'll do is you'll create a scratch track, which is a track that's intended to be a guide for the recording process, but will eventually be thrown away and replaced by uh, real parts. So the scratch track is typically a vocal and an instrument, so maybe a piano, an acoustic guitar, an electric guitar, and it has to be at the um, same tempo, right? Like that you intend to do. Yeah. If, like if you're doing it with, if you're going to record the final product with a click, you've got to record the scratch track with a click. That's a mistake Absolutely. that I see a lot. It's like, oh, just record along to this, and it's like, okay, are we doing it without a click? Like, are are we? Yeah. What's what's the deal? You could, and and there's nothing wrong yes. with doing stuff yes. without click. But yes, you're right. If you if your if your intention is to use a click, which I would say most, like, you know, nine out of ten times you want to be doing. Um, yeah, so you'll record or the artist will record their vocal and their guitar along with the metronome, maybe on two separate tracks, maybe on the same track, whatever. Uh, and then that's what everybody's got in their ears when they're laying down that drum part or they're laying down the synthesizer parts or whatever else is going on in the song. So um, 
in that case, you're kind of building things a track at a time, but at least you have um, that vocal for context. So you can always sort of feel like, all right, well, is this part going to complement what the vocal is going to be in the song? Because if, yes. you, if you just start with your drum beat and you start putting instruments on it uh, and you don't have that vocal there, you could get you could come up with something really great or you could get kind of sidetracked or painted into a corner or go to sing over it and realize, oh, this this voicing, this chord voicing sounds really weird. Like fills and stuff like that and like little ear candy sort of synthy stuff. It's like, like that is yeah. all based around the vocal, you know? So Yeah, you don't want those parts stepping all over the, the, the vocal performance either, right? So you're going to... So we won't even do lead guitar overdubs and stuff like that until we have at least a scratch vocal, if not the real thing. The real deal. Because we don't want to be playing little lickies and stuff like <laughs> little lickers you know, over top of the vocal little lickers little kisses you know over top of the vocals yeah. so it's not gonna work so. i mean so the funny thing um, is the next one the the the, the patented agenda method is kind of <laughs> like a hybrid we came up with it of the scratch track and the live off that's the true thing right like so yeah. your deal i'm gonna explain it because you know i'm not i'm not a member of the agenda but i'm an admirer um, but, uh, so their whole deal is, as you were saying at the beginning, they mm-hmm. learn the fuck out of the song and instead of wasting time on a scratch track, say you only have six takes, one of them's going to be taken up with the scratch track, might as well, you know, assume that the scratch track is going to be one of the takes as well too. So you're not going to do mm-hmm. a scratch track where you're going to throw things out. It's like, we're going to do six takes and any of them are fair game. We go in assuming that those are going to be the bad boys. I mean, one of the things that uh is an advantage of the scratch track and i've heard engineers talk about is that they'll say oh yeah no no no, we're just setting getting levels don't worry about it go through the song and then sometimes those are really great takes because there's no pressure um mm-hmm. but like i think if you're doing every take it, it's it's i i think that's really smart you know it's like why would you waste a take on just like yeah we just got to get the form yeah I mean, we have recorded to scratch tracks, yeah. tracks before, but those were made before we went into the studio. Those aren't official licensed agenda method tracks. <laughs> if the singer's not available to come into the studio or whatever, we'll make sure that we have yeah. a track with them singing that we're playing along to, to whatever tempo it is. Um, but And again, that could just be the acoustic thing that we made at somebody's house with a metronome playing in the background. Yeah. You know, as long as we've got something, right? Um, but... You know, if we're doing it live and the singer's there, then they'll probably only sing it two or three times. And then once they've got a vocal take that's that they're you know relatively happy with, we'll just leave that in yeah. as the quote unquote scratch vocal, and we'll continue to play along with that. So you're getting drums um, mainly, and then the other instruments, yeah, hopefully, exactly. Yeah, drums, ma- drums, and acoustics are the goal. Uh, bass is pretty darn easy to get with drums, so that's almost always gets done. Um, can't remember a time when it didn't actually. And then because Mark's great bass you know, player. rhythm guitars and stuff. If, if we've got, hopefully we've got enough time and, and, and then leads, if we can get them too. And then usually all the overdubs and vocals happen on a separate day. So it's a, it's a bit of a hybrid method, like you said, but that's the best so way, that, baby. Yeah. I mean, that method is going to work a lot better for you. If, uh, you have a song with, you know, most of the instruments being, human based and you want them grooving together you want more of a quote-unquote live band feel um and it's also going to be a lot faster it really does streamline the creative process because you don't have as much time 
to sort of dilly dally and waffle on like, you know, different parts as you're sure. building stuff up. Everything's happening together. But so also to you could if, you could waffle later on. You know, get your waffle you maker can. out at home, yeah. you know? Instead yeah. of putting your waffle maker in the studio and blowing a fuse and ruining some eleven seventy sixes, you know? <laughs> but I mean oftentimes it's like it just get the song comes together so much faster because like if a part's not working, you find that out right away because yeah. all the other parts are also simultaneously happening. But if you're building things, you know, one track at a time, you're like, all right, well, I'm going to play this really cool bass part, but you don't have any guitars on it yet. It's like, then when you go to put the guitars down, you're like, oh, maybe that didn't work. And then you got to go back and do it again. Yes. So the workflow is is much uh, more streamlined, especially if you got the right people in the studio. Patented agenda um, method. So paying those for, are the folks. two sort of ways of going, but, but I wouldn't spend the money yeah. and rent out a big studio. If like the only real live instrument on your song is, dr- you know, drums or something, um, sure. you know, maybe you just get, uh, a smaller studio and just the drummer out. Or, you yeah. know, if the only live thing is guitars, like you don't need to have a, a couple of guitar players coming in and recording at the same time. I guess it's kind of obvious, but yeah. just sort of knowing both um approaches and sort of the pros and cons uh and of course the the scratch track just building things one at a time is generally less expensive and uh, so but it does take take more time we had written down live off the floor as well and i almost distinguish that from kind of what you're talking about with the other stuff because like to me and this is maybe a misunderstanding on my part live off the floor almost seems to me to be more like oh we're recording like a take and like, like every instrument's going at the same time and every instrument from that take is being like saved for the most part for that take. Is that correct? Or is that just a different workflow? I think the, that's the idea. Yeah. Yeah. Which is cool. I mean, I would call, I would call what we're doing quote unquote live off the floor. Like we're doing, we're doing bed tracks live off the floor. We're not doing the whole record live off the floor. We will be for this Christmas album, so that's going to be really interesting. Oh, wow. But, I mean, that's a that's a different, the totally different vibe yes. and usually like yes. the most expensive way of doing things. And that's where the most pressure's on the line because yes. there's so many moving parts uh, in terms of like people recording at the same time that like you really can't afford to make mistakes because it's going to derail, you know, an entire take from yes. somebody else potentially or whatever. So... Um, that's where you just need to be that much more rehearsed or have yeah. that much more time to to prepare. But it's a super cool. I'm actually looking forward. This is gonna be the first record I've ever done where everything is live. Um, so um, it's gonna be really crazy. I, you yeah. know, and I'm not sure if they recorded it this way, but it seems that way, uh, at least in terms of sound. Uh, I think it's r- not Brian Adams, but Ryan Adams. I'm pretty mm. sure his first few records were kind of like that. Um, like what was that? There's a song called Sweet Carolina, not Sweet Caroline. Um, yeah, a lot of confusing names with this fucking Joker. But um, yeah, but like the idea is, yeah, it's a different vibe. You know, it's like it's definitely it can be more intimate. But man, is it hard? Like I guarantee you, yeah, a lot of us musicians, if we did a live off the floor thing, you're gonna listen back and be like, oh fuck, unless you prepared super hard, you know? Yeah, Which you guys are going. You're to. not gonna have the same. Uh ability to to sort of you know edit things after the fact i mean you still do like you could still do a live off the floor record then go back and and cut everything up and and whatever but but uh yeah i think it's a it's a really i I think a lot of really like good records 
were were made that way you know i think like mm-hmm. a lot more than you think even the ones where that you listen to and you're like oh this is definitely everything's all cut up and it's like yeah maybe it is but they probably still did a live off the floor because they had the money you sure know? yes and they got the, that's how they got the vibe at least like i heard like a weezer track that i never would have thought um i i, I can't remember the name of it now was it back to the shack it's like one of their newer like not new new but uh, i was watching a mix of the masters video all of them, yeah, and there was there was like vocal bleed in the drums and sure. like guitar bleed in the drums and stuff and i was like oh man i never like if you had asked me if those guys did it live i would be like no nah, they probably just like did things one not w- wasn't you know, the first because Beatles sounds- record the same thing too definitely like uh, the i wouldn't dance I would with it with another like it's like yeah, I'm like, there's no Especially way that anyone stuff. could yeah. sound like that live. And it's like, nope, that's the Beatles. Another thing as well that yeah. um, we were talking about all this stuff before and recording methods and practicing and preparation. Um, another thing that I hear older guys talk about is back in, you know, when they didn't have, you know, multiple takes or they had to do it to tape, you know, uh, they would rehearse. Yeah. You go into the studio and you rehearse oh, yeah. a song you know, a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of times so that when you go in, same as the agenda voice, it's all fucking ready to go. Yeah. Tape's expensive. Tape costs money, man. Yeah. So expensive, yeah. Um, so, those are the different recording methods. Choose the one that suits you best. Uh, why don't you take this next one? This next one is a fucking nightmare. Um, and I feel like <laughs> it would be, it's the only thing that I dislike about studio stuff because I don't have OCD, but... For certain things, I I would be on the spectrum of OCD peeps. Um, so it's sort of instrument prep. Um, so say, for instance, for guitar, it's you know having a proper setup so that your strings aren't buzzing more than they should be because you can't really get a guitar mm-hmm. without buzz. Um, stuff like having your intonation done before the, the session, but also being able to to tweak your intonation like within the session as well too. Uh, and then like... Stuff like having fresh drums, uh, sorry, fresh drum heads, uh, fresh strings. Uh, and then this is another thing that you can do in it as well. I just thought it was cool. It was on um, Produce Like a Pro. They were talking about the drum doctor. So like tuning mm-hmm. your drums, you know, being like a pro at tuning your drums so that they sound, you know, perfect. You could be the best. You're creaking behind me. Is that my chair? Um, but uh you could be, you know, the best player ever, but if you have a shitty set of drums and you don't know how to tune them, you're not going to sound good in the studio, even if you play the coolest shit ever, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, it's like knowing your instrument. I mean, things like knowing tuning techniques, having a very accurate tuner. People pay like three or 400 bucks for those uh, those Peterson strobe tuners that are accurate to mm-hmm. some crazy percentage of a, a cent. Um, yeah. And then, like, this is one that you you want to talk about i'm just reading them down here i'm taking all the good ones um stuff like knowing you know uh when you're like playing with a capo you retune your guitar for that capo and then so that it's like spot on or say for instance if i'm playing in the middle of the neck for my song and i'm only playing in the middle of my neck for that whole take i'm gonna tune with the notes in the middle of the neck even though i've set my intonation um i don't know Mm -hmm. like what what else am i missing here man uh no i mean you're hitting them all man like yeah, but the first, I mean, making sure you have a good setup and good intonation. I mean, that goes in ha- hand in hand for me. I mean, when I get yeah. when I send my guitars to get set up, like they come back. Brian Master. And every fret I play, it sounds in tune. It yep. sounds good. There's no weird stuff. So, I mean, 
spending and it's it's not cheap man it's like it's like 80 bucks for yep. a i think for like a do setup you go to brian so. or who do, you, who do you go to oh yeah i go to brian brian yeah. is the brian shit mascarin Mas- oh dude yeah he's, sorry mascarin he, that's his name or mascarin mascarin, mascarin. i'm not sure yeah uh, unreal dude like i never the guy's a magician like yep. i don't i don't know and don't all know the good guys it, go to him but you know then you're playing your guitar in the studio and you don't have to retune it I mean, you still should tune between every take, but you're not having strings going way yes. out of tune. When you switch from a low grip to a high grip, you're not having weird problems there. Like a, an out of tune or poorly intonated guitar could just destroy uh, a session. You're going to have to redo all of that because yep. it's just not going to sound good, right? You're going to have to do that um, uh, chord punching thing that I forgot to mention. Yeah, chord yeah. punching is another thing. But yeah, I mean, and you said fresh strings, you know, you should do them the night before. I usually, what if I do my guitar, my acoustic guitar, uh, I'll put the strings on and actually tune them up like a half step higher. Stretch them out, Than eh? they should be. Yeah, and nice. then the next day they'll be like nice and stretched out. Um, but sometimes I'll do it the morning of the session. I don't have too much trouble. But some people say you need to do it the night before. Do but you, you should electric, make sure you got a fresh do do? set on. Do you do it the night before or... Or do you I just, usually just do them the same day because I don't plan ahead. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you you should probably do them the night before. Um, Basses also don't depends change on their strings, though. On your, that's that's an interesting. That depends thing. on yeah. That's more of a tone thing. For, yeah. for bass, I think. But so, for guitar, I find that older strings, uh, even like a month old strings, start to have tuning issues for me. Mm. Like I can actually just hear the tuning starting to like sag and stuff, and I was like, all right, well got to change them so just for peace of mind but also for good tone you should, should put new strings on um and then yeah like you said when you when you when you got a capo on like if you got capo on fifth fret put the capo on fifth fret and then tune yes right? and uh um and i i use man I, i'll be honest with you i use the boss tu2 pedal yeah or, that's a really accurate one yeah for sure yeah or I use the Boss TU2 app on my phone, and I'm not joking. Really? And, I, and I'm familiar with it, and I, I mean, I can also hear when something's just slightly sure, out of tune, sure. so like, I'm sure I'm relying on my ear a little bit as well. Well, but, that's because you're a singer um, too, right? It works. And a producer. It works for me, man. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Well, because like, um, a thing that people, and myself, have failed to realize is that like tuning is like it's like a part of tone. You know, like, so oh, yeah. if you get the best singer in the world and then take a track and get them to play on it, but they're like, you know, five cents flat for the whole song, it's going to sound like garbage. But if you get like someone who has like a kind of a weird sounding voice, if they're in tune, it's, it's fucking great, you know? Yep. So, totally. Yeah. Um, and I think it was worth shouting out a video by a gentleman named Eric Valentine. Mm. We'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, it's a YouTube video where he he's like a record producer of serious heaviness. And uh, he goes over a bunch of different tuning problems with guitars in particular and sort of how to address them oh, and what to look out for. I'd never heard of different this. techniques. Eric Valentine? So, yeah, it's Wanna a really good video. Um, and so just a couple of those is like always tune up into your notes on guitar. So like if you're trying to tune your E string, like take it down purposely too low and then tune up into the E. If you tune down into the E, the string can slip further out of tune. Um, so always tune up. And with Gibsons in particular, I'll try to 
instead of tuning down, I'll just tug on the string. I'll actually just pull the string to get it a little, to go a little bit flatter. If it's like just a little ah, sharp, I see. Uh, I'll actually just pull on it. That way, I don't have to tune it down. Um, and I'm making sure the string is not slipping because Gibsons always have problems with with string slippage. So yeah, um, if you need to tune down, just pull the string gently, and sometimes that'll do it, and you won't even have to mess with the tuning head. I mean, um, that's huge. And then, yeah, just being aware that, like, if, you know, the AC comes on in the studio, like, a minute later, later your guitar is going to be a little bit sharp. You know, just, oh, like, wow. temperature and, and <laughs> yeah. stuff. And just, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just, just be aware that your guitar is, like, a living thing, so yep. everything affects it, and just keep on top of it. Speaking of tuning, this is another thing. Um, what's his face? Uh, oh, gosh. I'm forgetting his name. Will loves him. James Taylor. Have, have you seen the James Taylor uh, video about his tuning yeah, method? Yeah, his like uh, like tempered yeah. tuning or whatever. So people, I, I tried it. Yeah, I, I didn't. It didn't work for me. But people yeah, sweat about that. This was stuff, a cool though. Thing. That's the big point. Yeah, it's like this oh, is yeah. a, a yeah. very worthy thing to sweat. You could have the best guitar in the fucking world and the best mics with the best player, and if it's out of tune, people aren't going to like it. You know, unless it's yeah. like you're going for that like. Effect, or maybe they will because the yeah. song yeah. song kills and there's really cool vibe. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, generally you want things to be in tune. So yes, um, yeah, going getting a good setup, a good intonation, and having new strings it goes a very very long way. Yeah. And then these other things are sort of just to get you the rest of the way there. And then we did talk about chord punching a little bit earlier. Yes, just I, I, and I'm talking more on the fly. It's like if I know that I can't get from like you know, a weird bar chord grip to like an open chord smoothly. One take, I'll make sure I nail the bar chord. Next take, I'll make sure I nail the, That's the open advice. chord. And then we can edit that together later. Never thought of that. Uh, or genius. if I notice that like every time I play a an A chord, it sounds a little bit out of tune, but the rest of the song sounds fine. I'll hold down an A, tune my guitar for that. Tune my guitar with the A chord held down. And then go through the song one pass like that, knowing that the rest of the chords might be out of tune, but at least we know we're getting that A every time, yeah. and then you can edit those in. So if you do have some intonation problems with the guitar, that's, that's a way to solve that. Or you might just have to say, there's too many problems, I'm going to do this at home and yep. get a good setup, or like literally just tune for every chord and punch them in. And sometimes you got to do that, and that's that's a bummer, but got to do what you got to do. Get a better fucking um, guitar, you joker. The last thing here is like direct versus live amp. Um, most of the time in a studio, you're going to be using a live amp. I've been really pushing it to the limit and trying to use my Helix as much as I can, and it's been working out pretty well. Um, just be aware that like if you're in a situation where um, there's a lot of people in the studio, there may not be room for an amp. Yes. So uh, if you are in a situation bleed. like that, it might be better to go direct. Yeah, or there's a bleed issue with the drums. It might be better to go direct even just for vibe. Like you could call it a scratch guitar take. Just play direct so that you're figuring out the parts, you're vibing with everybody else. And then you could maybe save the DI signal and reamp it later yeah. if you want or go over it again with a live What do people have against reamping re- stuff? I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't get it because it's like, technically like i feel like technically it's not the same you know what i mean like it it can't be because you're not playing it direct in but like to the amp but like 
it's as close as you physically could get. I don't think you would notice a difference. You know, if you had a good I mean, I th- box. Yeah, I don't think you would either. Yeah. But I think a lot of people would say like the tone of the amp or like if you're using a specific delay of sure. a specific time or a reverb, it's going to inform how you, you play. approach the part, yeah, yeah. right? So there is a little bit of that. But no, I think like, you know, you can definitely save a DI and, and reamp it later or whatever. Like, But I think for the most part, you, you use a live amp. But just be aware that there's more um, setup involved, obviously. You got to get mics on it. You got to gain stage them. And amps are, you know, going to get uh, a little bit louder, a little bit more broken up as they're left on for a longer amount of time if they're a tube sure. amp. So, you know, you do want to turn it on maybe 15 to 30 minutes before you're actually starting to get it, let it warm up. But even like an hour or two into the session, it might, the, the tone might have changed a little bit. So it can be a little bit finicky. So just being aware of that and knowing how your amp works is, uh, uh, and knowing, you know, what the best, uh, placement in terms of like where the microphones should go is all helpful stuff that can signal. that can help the yeah yeah you know like just um, having something just in case yeah backup direct signal yeah. for sure yeah i've done that multiple times also makes editing a little bit easier because you can see where the transients ah. are because guitars usually come you ever do that with acoustic get a dir- get the direct in of the acoustic just so you can edit it better uh, or not no really? no the only time i've used direct acoustic is actually like a long crossfade on a held chord at the end of a song where you start oh, to hear okay. the click bleed come yeah. in yeah. and you can actually crossfade it into the direct signal and you won't notice the high end tapering off cause it's supposed sure. to taper off anyways, but then you don't get the beep, 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 beep. Yeah. So I was that's where I've used that. that, but generally I don't yeah. ever record direct. But I mean for the editing, the, I wasn't meaning for the tone purposes, but the editing oh, purposes, but yeah, no, no, yeah. you can see you on acoustic pretty, pretty well. well. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right, let's move to the next here. So number five is use multiple guitars and multiple capo positions if you can. Uh, if you've got access to two guitars and you're going to double up a part, like a, maybe it's a rhythm chord kind of part and you want to go left, right with it, use a different guitar for the other side. Uh, yeah. This is not a new tip, but it definitely makes a huge difference. And um, like I said sort of earlier, it's like if I get a take I'm happy with, I'm going to switch to a different guitar for the next take. That makes sense. So I've got options right now. I can like go left and right with them and have a bigger sound rather than just having like one, uh, you know, singular track. It's really perfectly played, but it's like, we can't go stereo with it if we want to. So I like to switch, switch up guitars and on acoustic, uh, I'll switch, especially on acoustic, I'll switch capo positions. Especially if you don't have a second acoustic. Especially if you don't have a second. Yeah. Exactly. So if I'm playing in like, uh, like G, for example, right? Like G, D, C, right? Maybe I'll go up to, uh, what would it be, like 5th fret and play, um, you know, C, G, F. Would that, sure. would that work? I'm trying um, to do the math on the, off the top of my head. But You're trying to play a G? Yeah. On 5th fret, I think it would be fret. D, right? It doesn't fucking matter. Everybody well, anyways, knows the point. You know, you know what I'm talking. You guys know what I'm yeah, talking. About. I think it might actually be seventh fret, and nerds. then if you play a C chord, that'll give you the that'll give you the G. Don't you dare then, try so, to correct our theory, you fucking dweebs. So, so then, then you know, then you've got rather mm-hmm. than the exact same part on both sides. Although that will work because they're lit, you know they're physically different takes, so they yep. will split left and right. But you, they they can phase and mono out a little bit sometimes if you're playing it super tight. 
Um, but if you switch it to a different capo position, you'll get a really nice sort of stereo imaging there. So it's so cool. Uh, it also is like a great way to fake a twelve string guitar too, because nobody wants to use one of those in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> After all, we just talked about tuning, but sure. Um, so it's a good way to fake that. Um, and uh, yeah, what you got anything to add to that? I mean, uh, that's just like those are just cool, creative ways to get like better tone. You know what I mean? I feel like those are not uh, necessities, but it's like I have no idea about any of those because that's pretty much all my tricks, and I learned them from you guys. Um, I'm sure <laughs> an experienced. You know, really experienced session player, you know, who's like 70 or something would have some other Mm -hmm. stuff, you know, it's out there. The studio is really a separate animal. I kind of feel the same way as the Aaron Sterling guy. Like, I think the studio is more where I belong. Um, Mm. But like, that's the thing. Like, you know, there are some people who are the polar opposite. They get really nervous in the studio, you know, or they, they would prefer the, like the energy of like a live crowd or something yeah yeah absolutely yeah i mean i guess the one other thing you could do is switch amps oh Um, yeah oh for sure people do that i mean switching switching guitars i think does more than switching amps if we're talking about getting different tones for the same part but yeah um, yeah but it would it would work in a similar way as well so what anything you could do to like differentiate between those parts um so just quickly because we're we're running out of time here um, the last tip that I, that I wrote down here is have a system for recording vocals. So, um, I think something that I've run into a lot and I'm sure people run into a lot is you, you get to vocal day. It's like, all right, the singer's here. It's like, all right, let's just sing through the song and all right, that was pretty good. Let's do it again. All right, that's pretty good. Let's do it again. And like your five takes in and they, they're starting to maybe get tired. Yes. And like, there's a bunch of potential problems in the vocal performance that you're not identifying right then and there. And maybe you're like, Oh yeah, that sounded pretty good. Let's just, we'll keep that one. All right, let's go to the next song. And then you go to editing and you're like, man, they never said this lyric. Yes. Uh, They never enunciated this one word properly. Yeah. Or or this note is always out of tune or like, you know, I just didn't like the way they did this or whatever. And it's like, you know, you miss a lot of stuff like that and you can really crush your singer too. Cause like, imagine you're like, this is an extreme example, but imagine you're doing full through takes of the song and you're like, all right, but in the second verse, like make sure you say the word, ah, like make sure you really clearly say that in the second verse. All right, let's do a full take of the song though. Yeah. It's like, obviously you would just punch that in, but like, I think that the systematic approach for recording vocals is the most effective way to do it. You make sure you get everything and you don't tire out the singer as much. So do you ever do a full take other than for the scratch track? I think just to warm up, you might yeah, do a yeah. couple, but it depends. I mean, working with singers is so tough because everybody's different, right? Yeah. Like if you recognize right off the bat that there's a note in that song that they're not comfortable with, it's way too high for them. I'll usually be like, let's go through a full take of the song just to sort of get our feet wet, get, get warm. Don't worry awesome. about that bridge though. Like just don't yes. even, don't even bother. Cause they'll go for it. And last thing you want to do is a singer injure themselves on the second take trying to hit a note that they can't sing and then it's like your day is blown right yeah. so you want to warm them up being a singer is like an athlete man you got to warm oh it my up God. and and make sure that that you get the you know the most you can get um and you don't want them to blow it out right off the bat so you know you might do one or two just to sort of get the map of the song and get some some ideas for what, what you want to do but 
almost as quickly as possible these days. I'm going, I'm getting into one section at a time or one line at a time, depending on That's the smart. singer and, and, and where we're at. I mean, yeah. certain producers are good at getting good takes, like, sorry, good, like, vocal recordings out of a singer. You know what I mean? Like, that's part yeah. of your job, right? Like, you oh, can yeah. be amazing at fucking making the band do all this cool shit and have an awesome arrangement and mix, but if you're not getting, like, a good vocal take, like, as you said, that's, like, the most important, you know? Best vocal possible. Yeah, I, I mean, it might be the, yeah, it might be the most important part of that whole producing job, because, yeah. like, bands, if you got a good band, they're gonna do their thing, like, yep. they're not gonna need too much... But man, if you yeah, working with singer, I think is 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 it, man. Um, so one section at a time, uh, and what I'll do is I'll just drop a little grid um, on a piece of paper, and I'll just say, all right, verse one, line one, line two, line three, line four, and then verse you know chorus, and then you know it's for each section, right? Each line of each section, and then and that'll be on the um, the top row, right? And then the left-hand column is whatever number take it is on Pro Tools. So it's usually 0 0.01, 0 0.02, 0 0.03, whatever mm -hmm. it is, right? And then as we're going through, if we get it, I check it off. Oh, no. If we don't Lost get it, you. I exit. If we kind of get it, I'll, like, do a little squiggly line, like, yeah, we almost maybe got it. Yes. Um, and then if we really got it, I'll, like, you know, check mark and circle it or something just to be like, this is for sure the one we're going to use. So this makes and editing then, easier as well. Dude, yeah. yeah. Comping becomes so much easier because you just flip to all these. You're like, okay, this was good. This was good. This is good. And then you may need to go through it again and, and yes. check out a couple of other takes for whatever reason. But um, that way you're not wasting time comping if you need to get a lot of stuff done in a short amount of time. Uh, it makes comping easy. I mean, even if you are going to comp between each song, um, cause it does give the singer a little bit of a break, gives everybody a little bit of a break. You can comp in between, but it's still so much easier when you know which takes were good and which ones weren't. Oh and, God, and just yeah. making notes as you go is super important. Um, two more quick little things here. Uh, I, I try to only give one piece of feedback at a time to a singer. So try to keep things easy and, and positive and like, yeah, you crushed it, like all that stuff. But if I'm going to give any feedback, it's like, I want them to focus on one thing at a time. I, I I almost never, even in like some of the best singers that I've worked with, I'll be like, oh, this, you know, yeah, try to grab that lyric there and maybe like watch your tone sure. here and maybe like, um, you know, your tuning on this note was a little off. It's like, and then it just, it, it doesn't work, man. It's just one thing at a time is always the best way to go. Um, and sometimes that, thing that you're asking them to focus on is the opposite of what you want them to change you know so oh. like let's say for example we've got like a line and there's a high note in the line and i can tell that they're apprehensive about it and they're really focusing on it and they're like oh it didn't sound good did it sound okay it didn't sound good and i was like don't worry it was fine i want you to focus on this and i'll point at something else that maybe does need work or maybe doesn't um just to get their focus off of the thing that's stressing them out. Yeah. Uh, and then sometimes they'll just sort of have this magical take where they actually forgot about that note for a second or they were fired up about something else and they just they just nailed it and they're like, oh, oh, I actually hit that. And you're like, yeah, sweet. Now we don't have to do that. Yeah. So it's like... A little bit smoke yeah, and mirrors. So I like exactly. it. Exactly. So, so sometimes it's, it's about changing focus away from the thing that's difficult rather than zeroing in on it and yeah. stressing people out. So that's... 
Um, but always one piece of feedback at a time, I think, is the most important. And then the final thing, this is just a little tip. Just a uh, tip. You know, you can tell people you came up with this. Um, get your singer to do this. Put their hands on top of their head. Interlock their fingers and sing like that. And it just always fixes everything. <laughs> always <laughs> because it helps everything. open up the uh, ho- helps open up the airways and uh, and I always just find that it fixes tuning problems if they if they're like having if you find they're running out of breath towards the end mm-hmm. of a certain section. Um, I'll always sort of default to that. And uh, you know, people hate being told what to do, so you got to kind of sort of do it like in a funny way. It's just like yeah, just try this. Like it sounds weird, but just you know whatever. Um, and I like it, it. It does help. So give that one a shot. If, uh, next time you're, you're singing yourself or, uh, or working with a singer. Fuck um, yeah. that's all I got for this one. That's all we got. Uh, one last thing that we forgot to discuss and we'll, we'll discuss it. Not really even discuss it. Just mention it. Fucking Eddie yeah. Van Halen died, man. Oh yeah. Dude. <sighs> yeah. How could we bummer. omit that? It is a bummer. That's that. Yeah. Okay. End episode. <laughs> what's your favorite van halen song Barnett? i mean see i haven't listened to a lot of van halen um what was fucking the one i uh, ain't talking about love's a good one. Oh yeah um fuck there's just so many like i i tend to like the ones where it's like a song and then it has a solo as opposed to like more shreddy like i guess most of them are like that i don't like i'm not a big i like eruption but i, I wouldn't like listen to it leisurely you know what i mean that's what mm. i'm saying um, but yeah, I haven't listened yeah. to a lot of Van Halen, uh, but he's one of those like underrated guitarists, but ov- also like overrated. Like he's amazing and insane. And then, you know, people kind of forget that when they get a bit better at guitar, they're like, oh, I used to like him when I first started. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, he's actually fucking amazing. Um, oh, he's unreal. His time feel, dude. That's yes. the thing that like not enough people talk about. It's like, yeah, he can play super fast and he he's... I mean, he's virtuosic. He's the guy's an alien, but the yeah. time feel, the pocket, yes, like he's got more pocket than anybody else in that band. Yes, like it, it all, it's all around him. Yes, um, he absolutely deserves to be where he was. Um, oh God, yeah, and like, and like, also, I'm when I say he's overrated, I don't mean he he gets more credit than he's due, but just someone who doesn't know anything about guitar will be like, he's the best guitarist ever, and it's like, well, you know there are other great guitarists he's a really 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 amazing guitarist as well you know yeah um, but uh yeah no he's oh, yeah. he's a he's fucking unreal. beast all right yeah, buddy. it's 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 sad man for sure and and pretty young too 65 yep. years yep. old i think he was um yeah. but yeah my, my 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 favorite tune by them i think is is hot for teacher oh it's yeah, just yeah, like yeah. I, can, fucking, I couldn't even come close to playing or singing any of that and, fucking, and i want there's a country band with chris we've been trying to get chris to play fucking hot for teacher for years oh how yeah. amazing would that be i mean if you guys could pull it off this is true that song this is, is insanely hard but yeah man dlr sounds amazing on that one too so yeah yeah but the entire first record is is like a masterpiece yeah like you can listen to that whole first record and not get sick of it yeah ice cream man you remember that tune no i don't i haven't listened to a lot ice of cream stuff. man oh dude ice cream man it's a great track it's a horrible um, name for a fucking song though well it's all a bunch of uh double entendres but uh-huh, anyways like yeah yeah man I, one of my favorite bands for sure uh especially through high school and uh and uh just just legendary it's, yeah. it's too bad 
it's too bad to see uh, to see people go down. But loved your music and uh, wish wish there could have been more. Yeah, say Levy. Um. All right. Well, I gotta go. I gotta teach in like five minutes. So fuck yeah. Um. <laughs> thanks to all of you for listening and supporting the show. If you want to support the show, just tell your friends about it. Uh, tell them how fun and awesome this is and how much you've learned from it and uh, direct them to musicguypodcast.com or at musicguypodcast on instagram and facebook i'm at alro music on twitter instagram twitch facebook youtube whatever and michael hebs is at bruno the meek on instagram yes sir see you guys next week for another episode of the music guy podcast bye for now